Bonjour, buongiorno. Welcome to the SBS Cycling Podcast for the Giro Special Edition, second episode of the Giro 2023. And joining me, as per usual, is the great Dave McKenzie. How are you? Great. I don't know if you've yeah, ever said that. Yeah. I will take that. I will. <laughs> can you just isolate, isolate that recording there? Uh, yeah. Sounds good, David the Great. Good to be here. Thank you very much. Um, and beautiful weather, may I, I know. say. For May I know. weather, this is fantastic. I went for a 35k ride today. No way. Yes. Around on your new city. bicicletta. On my new bicicletta. You're feeling all pretty and snazz I, about yourself, aren't and you? And I was going so fast, going, come on, you pedestrians, move away from yeah, me. <laughs> hey, it's a, it's a beast of a machine. I had a look on my I way in. It. I love it. You should be very happy. We've got cycling royalty with us, don't we? Jeez, you've called me David the Great. Now I feel like I'm being demoted. Please go ahead. <laughs> Mark Renshaw is with us. How are you, Mark? He is royalty. Thank you, Christoph. Dave, yeah, pleasure to be here. Really enjoying my time in Melbourne. Had an absolute ball. I've now ridden nine days in a row. So that's, that's the beautiful. most I've ever ridden since I've retired. Okay, let's, put it, let's put it out there before we start talking about professional cycling. Uh, quality of the ride in Melbourne compared to everywhere else. The cycling Well, let's path. compare it to Sydney, shall oh, we? Oh, if you want to. Yeah, yeah but... you can't compare it to Bathurst because that is God country out there. <laughs> so Melbourne, look, 10 out of 10. I've had an absolute ball down here. The, the bike paths, the infrastructure, it is just unreal. Uh, I brought the ga- uh, gravel bike down. Yeah. So on the footpaths. Um, I was pretty chuffed to take you around my uh, my local gravel yeah. loop. I'm waiting for that. my invite, by the way. Yeah, on this and one. actually, your bike's up for that now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, no, thoroughly enjoyed it. We did a, a great two and a half hour loop. And mm. look, we didn't go on the road. Oh, what? 10, 15% of the ride was on the road. And this is from the CBD, effectively. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. So, Pretty cool. Uh, yeah, chapeau. The, the infrastructure within Melbourne is top class. We're loving it. Let, let us know what you think and how is it around your area as well. Let's talk about professional cycling. Uh, it's all happening uh, in Europe, of course, at the minute. Uh, Tour of Hungary, we'll talk about this in a, a tail end of this podcast. But, of course, the Giro Stage 9 tonight, which means that we're going to analyse up to Stage 8. Uh, how is this Giro shaping up so far Dave McKenzie the Great yeah it's shaping up no it's shaping up nicely look there have been a couple of snooze fest stages mm-hmm. I think we I try not to you know gloss over it just say it how yeah, it is yeah. and you get that in Grand Tours and that's okay so but I think all in all Mark it's been I think it's been a good Giro and last night gave us a good teaser for hopefully what's ahead for the next 12 days, I think, in terms of the GC battle. The final depth of the stage last night was some of the best racing we've seen in the Giro so far. You're right, we've had a couple of stages that haven't been full of action, Mm. but this is a Grand Tour and just watching some of the comments and some of the people, um, you know, commenting on those snooze fest stages, as you called it, I'd like to think of it as a boxing match and it's 21 rounds. Every mm-hmm. round hurts. Every, exactly. It doesn't yep. matter if you're winning or just sitting in the bunch. You're copping some body hits yep. every day. Yeah, it's true. So you That's can't true. have big uppercuts and get knocked out every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So unless you're prepared to go into the ring, people, yeah. um, don't complain. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, we will. <laughs> I will in the comfort of the commentary booth. Yeah. It is. That's our job, yeah. Uh, ben Healy, uh, I mean, he, had, he had a stellar start of the year mm. and then he displayed something amazing on stage eight. Yesterday. Yeah, look, he did. And, and in some ways, not surprised. Uh, I think as soon as that break got established, if we fast forward to once the break was established, because it did take some time, 12 different teams represented some good bike riders. Warren Bargill, who looks like he's finding his legs. But real, I don't know about you, Mark, but I guess secretly without 
trying to give it away because you don't know either. But I was thinking, surely Ben Healy is is the odds-on favourite to win the stage, and he did. We called it very early when we saw uh, Ben Healy in the move. He had a skin suit on, long yes. sleeves skin suit. He looked like he was going for a time trial, yeah. not a 200-kilometre medium mountain stage, not even medium mountain mm. uh, transition stage, mm. as you called it. And, uh, yeah... So it's 13, old Arnie for Alperson de Kooning. He got on just at the last minute. Mm-hmm. He really had to work hard to get across. Yeah. Uh, you take in the five big GC teams, and that's 17, 18 teams of the 22 represented or game yeah. plan done and dusted. Well, so they were always going to go to the end. And Ben Healy, I think what shocked everyone is how early he attacked. Yeah, mm-hmm. 60K. What what's yeah. the skin suit means in terms of, uh, is it more of a mindset? Because on a stage like it's this... It's more aero, it, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's more aero, everything about it. It's um, cleanly cut. It's also hard to do a nature break in a skin suit because this day and age, it's just not perfect. As mm-hmm. good so as, they don't have a zip. They do, come, or... but the one he had on, it didn't look like it was the full road skin suit. It looked like it was more a time trial skin suit. Uh, oh, so he was going full stealth. So but is, that, is that a mindset? Is that, um, no, well, I'm, 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 in for, I'm in for it. That's, that's it. like on the start line when you see Ben yeah. Healy in a time trial suit, look out. <laughs> so Jeez. I think every rider knew the tactic of EF education. They knew they had to get in the wheel. Um, we saw how much he insisted because it's not like they just rode away in the first mm. five minutes of attacking. It took, took a, a long time, 30 kilometers it? of attacking. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I mean, and the average speed in the end, I think, was 46 just shy of at the end of a 200 plus k stage yeah. which wasn't flat it was a transitional day but it wasn't a flat day was it it was I think they had just under 3000 meters of climbing yeah, yeah so, so it was a monster all in the back end yeah we know that uh, Simon Clark did I mark this uh, this particular stage stage 8 uh, of course he did what he did on stage 6 and I want to come back to this because mm. he I'm not going to say he lost that stage because he didn't lose that stage, but he was that close from winning it. Uh, first of all, before we hear from him, Maka, uh, being caught out by the peloton about 200, 250 meters from the finish after such yeah. uh, a big day on the saddle, uh, the morale must be touched and therefore stage eight might not have been a mark after that stage six for him. Yeah, I mean, I said to Kino, I think afterwards... If he hadn't have won that stage at the Tour de France last year, and Simon's had other great results, by the way, but in just in, in terms of Grand Tour success, he's obviously had a Vuelta stage win, and, and you know he, he could have become the 104th rider, yeah, to have won in the three Grand Tours. So if he hadn't have won that Tour stage, I think the depression would be even even worse. Yeah, the devastation would be even more. He's still devastated. He said that that were the words that came out of his mouth. He was devastated. Um, but he, you know, to, to be fair, he's a pro and you know what you sign up for. And that includes the cat and mousing at the end. They blew it. I said it in the post debrief and look, I I totally put my hand up on being quite critical and maybe even a little bit harsh. They've been out there so long, but Mm -hmm. I think Mark sold it better. And again, it's easy to say they should have ridden at least to 500 to go. They should have had a packed 20 Ks out and said, let's commit. We're both season pros. We both get this. Okay, you're quicker on paper. Let's commit to 500 to go. Let's listen to uh, Simon Clark. Yeah, I mean, it's devastating to be caught so close to the finish, but at the same time, you know, we it was probably going to be a sprint day today and we tried to make that not happen and we got very close, but in the end they got their way. And uh, So, yeah. It's unfortunate, it's devastating, but if you don't try, you never know. But you have to feel very proud. 
No. No? <laughs> when, you, when you lose, you're not proud. No. For sure. You're proud and you lose and you didn't want to win bad enough. <laughs> but you did 30k, just or 40k really, just the two of you. You're yeah. obviously known each other for a long time. Your teammates just last year, but you've been pros together forever. So that showed uh, that you two never held anything back. Yeah, we, you know, we went whatever it was with 50k to go and we didn't even have three minutes. So it was always going to be a big task and we both knew that so there was no mucking around um, and we just gave it everything and we knew we didn't have time to eat, talk or play games it was just time trial mode till okay to go and you know yeah we got close but maybe we shouldn't have even got that close uh, so it was it was a good day and Alessandro was super strong and we worked great together and you know People can say whatever that you know. He played, tried to play cat and mouse, but without him, I wouldn't have been. In, I wouldn't have got as close as I did. So, uh, thanks to him that uh, we got even so close, and we try again another day. So that was a Simon Clark. Uh, Mark, question for you here: Is is of course you can hear he's, uh, he's joking on the fact that he's you know he's, he's not happy uh, he's not uh, celebrating he's not proud. Uh, <laughs> he's not proud. That's the, that's his own words. But um, he also mentioned the marquee. So. On the outset, if we look at it, we want uh, the marquee is the one that that start the gaming on the before the line and and maybe stuffed it up a little bit. Let's put it this way. Uh, but in the end, when he says that without the marquee, he would not have been there anyway. There's some kind words in a way by Simon Clark. Yeah, it's it's cycling. It's it's how cycling works. You've got two uh, different teammates going all in together, trying to uh, to beat the other twenty odd teams. So, yeah, to see Demarki and Clark combine, I agree too. They should have spoken a little bit more, but I can guarantee, in the heat of the moment, when you're a hundred and eighty heart rate and you're on the limit already five hours. Uh, sometimes you've got to look to the director sports if to lead. Uh, obviously, they backed each other in to win. But Demarkey just playing that card at 800 meters to go. I'm just going to sit on. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to force Clark. That I think that was the nail in the coffin. You're right. Yeah. They needed to go deeper into that stage. Uh, and if they wanted to make it fair, then somehow they need to do a side by side sprint. But uh, the problem with professional cyclists are they're happy to gamble. And if you can't yeah. win, then I can't win. So uh, and I'll I lay it all on the line. You said it out around 800 meters in that sprint when you say you've got to prepare to lose it to win it. That's that's clearly the mindset. And that's true. And, and look, the, the flip side is, let, let's say, like I can't um, argue with DeMarkey's tactic. We all knew it. He knew it, that Clark was faster. And he knew Simon. He knows Simon is crafty. So he went, no, that's it. I'm putting the queue in the rack, 800 out. It's up to you. So let's say mm-hmm. Simon had ridden then at 40 k's an hour, maybe more. I'm not sure what. Whatever the speed was, you know. But let's say all relative. Let's say Simon went, okay, I don't want to completely lose this. I'm prepared to maybe finish second, but I'll ride at 40, 45 k's an hour, and, I'm gonna, and then I'm full gas, 200 out. And let's say DeMarkey beats him by a millimetre. It's yep. paid off for DeMarkey. Mm-hmm. Now, that didn't happen. I know it's all <laughs> hypotheticals now. It doesn't matter. And then, so, and then you relied up. on that fact that Simon might ride it in at three quarters and I might just come off his wheel and beat him by mm-hmm. a couple of mil. Um, it's, you know, you roll the dice. But this we, this is Simon Clark. This is the way Simon Clark rides. He's mm. a tactician on the bike. He knows. He's been in that situation. He's won in the Tour de France and he didn't want to gamble that. And yeah. he called the bluff. Yeah. And he called the bluff of DeMarkey. He 
Demarkey didn't come through. They both looked at each other. That hesitation for 10 seconds, and that was the victory that just it totally cost him. Yeah. yeah, but let's remember Simon Clark was at some point without a contract before winning that stage in the Tour de France. Yeah. Remember? So he, he was that close from signing off on his career. His, his so, last 18 months is, <laughs> exactly. including this, by the way, it's yeah. phenomenal. It's, oh, it's, it's been a, his best 18 months uh, of his career. Uh, yeah, and he is like now this. I mean, you can see even the strength in him, you know. We know it was no fluke, his Tour de France win, based off his Mm -hmm. career already. But now to come back on a day like he did with DeMarkey, I mean, that was... And he he was the one who attacked first. Simon's into a stratosphere of being a a serious Mm. specialist at at hard breakaway victories. Um, And and, and he's... he wants to spoil the day for sprinters, I guess, for, for guys like mm. you and your team. When, when the, the finish is relatively flat, but it's a bit bumpy on the way, he wants to make sure that he spoils the day for the sprint. He's got, is he got something against the, the no, sprinters, do you think? I th- <laughs> well, look, you, Let's have take, it a bit. you have to take every chance, every option. Uh, and it's riders like him that try to upset the sprinters. And we saw it only just came back to a yeah. sprint. I always look on the other side of the coin from a sprinter's point of view. And and it was successful. They caught them before the finish. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, often as a sprinter, you gamble on the fact that the riders in the breakaway are going to gamble also. So I think Trek afraid of that. He got lucky for, for Mads Pedersen and therefore Mads Pedersen became the 103rd or 4th rider. 400th, yeah. 104th rider to do the, the trilogy of Grand Tour stage wins. Yeah. Uh, could have been Simon Clark, And I, I just think he's going to have a little bit of regret Later on in his career, or when he retires, when he looks back, uh, and he, he may do it in the rest of the year. Yeah, he yeah, might. The way, win. The way <laughs> yeah. he's moving, he's there's still two well weeks could. to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I know. I'm more confident he mm-hmm. will win one than than not. Yeah. So it brings me to um, have a look at the Aussies this week. Uh, Two wins, nearly a third one uh, over the week. Caden Groves delivered. We're happy about this. Michael Matthews delivered. About uh, happy about this. Is it already a successful Giro for Australia? Yeah. Bearing in mind I that Australia so. is holding the, the, the title, though, with, uh, with uh, Jai Hindley. Uh, so, the defending champion, yeah, Australia has a... a uh, if like, it was a country thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think all the other Aussies now can ride off the back that are in the Giro. It's, uh, it's a successful Giro. It's now up to Jay Vine and, and Jack Haig. I re- and I want both mm-hmm. of them to go well, obviously, but Jack Haig, with, it, with his bad luck and injuries over the last yeah. couple of years, now it's the GC guys that should come before. I, I want to come back to Christoph's point because I just don't think uh, – I think it's been great. It's been amazing. Stage wins are awesome. But when we go back to, to Jai Hindley winning overall, yeah. uh, it's, it's going to be not impossible but a very difficult task to uh, to, emulate. to emulate that. Yeah. We've, I think we've already won the stages. Um, looking at the riders we have for GC, I just don't know if Jay Vine's in that place yet. Jack Haig – he just always manages to find the ground somewhere. So I'm fingers crossed he doesn't this year. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be very difficult to, to emulate uh, the race from last year. But as far as stage wins go, it's going great. Caden mm. Groves, let's take a, a second about uh, to talk about him. He, he changed him at the beginning of the, the season. Um, interesting move. Yes or no, we can still debate about it. But he seems to have found his, his space in a team that is already... F- Packed with sprinters and packed with very good sprinters. Mm-hmm. So what was your view, uh, Mark, when you when you heard about Caden going to Alpacine uh, and, and what what could he expect there? Well, just rewinding a little bit. So Caden Graves had a massive victory yep. on the tail end of last year in the in the Vuelta España, but you can 
be guaranteed. He would have signed the contract before that. So he'd already made the decision he was out of the team. Uh, so he's going to Alperson de Koenig. I think it's a great move. They are one of the bigger up-and-coming teams. So they're not your, your Sudal Quickstep, but they're a Belgium team. They have a lot of heritage behind it. They have Van der Poel in the ranks. They have Matthew Van der Poel in the team. Uh, he's also got another Aussie there with him. So I think the whole global situation of that team really suits Caden. Uh, and I'm all for Australians getting out of the Australian environment, the Australian team, and trying their luck, roll the dice on a foreign team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Michael Matthews. Uh, he seems to be. I mean, I love Bling, but he seems to be always struggling uh, to to deliver. But he, he, almost, you think he, you expect him to deliver. Uh, I'm I'm watching my words. <laughs> but no, well, but well, you know what I mean. That he's always is is psychologically. It's always a. You, well, you if, can chips, hear if he hasn't won, it seems like it's it's a real battle for him yeah. psychologically I know it's what you're saying head, like and then when he does win he's the bling the bling's out exactly you know? that, yeah. that's yeah it, it, it's it's interesting um, and I love bling I love oh, what he does I love the guy I mean I love, the I love story it. we were talking about it the other day at riding we, it's we were. pretty phenomenal how yeah well he started actually at Rabobank and then eventually ended up at Jayco the Lula or Green Edge um, whatever name they were under had some success left Went to Sunweb, yep. had big success. Green jersey in yep. Tour de France. So you think, gee, gee, maybe the best of his years, you know, are, are, are done. And then Jake Alula bring him back. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, he didn't leave on terrible terms, but I wouldn't say he left hugging Jake Alula management when he left. I think they'd agree. I think that's fair. And I'm not, there's nothing I know, but I'm just saying it wasn't, they were happy for him to go and he wanted to go. So what was in, what was surprising, and you and I both, and I was surprised that you were surprised because you you were still racing, so you'd be closer to the pulse than I was. We were surprised he went back to Jake Alula. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know what? Kudos to both of them because he's delivered a Tour de France stage win. He's delivered a Giro stage win. I mean, that's that's getting your money's worth, isn't it, for them and, and for him as well, getting the success. It is, and it, and it just comes back to that saying, pressure makes diamonds, and mm. it, he did step up. Um I, I'm really happy because I think he needed it in his yeah. career. I yeah. think if he went through this duo without a stage win, I would hate to see what the rest of the season looks like because he wasn't su- successful into it down under. He he got crook. He didn't have a great classics campaign. So the pressure, it was just mounting and mounting in that team. So to, so to go through that Giro without success, I would yeah. hate to have seen the other side. But I think now he can show confidence in himself and we'll start to see a, a better Michael Matthews. He's a confident... I mean, this is a cliche, or it's stating the obvious. All riders, obviously, if they get a win, their confidence goes up and morale goes up. But I think, Michael, it's particularly apparent. You know, when the chips are down, he, he's... You know, he, sometimes he seems like he mopes around. And I know that's not probably the case. It's probably his mannerism, his natural mannerisms. But he's when he's successful, he's... And I feel like he has matured, obviously. He's in his 30s now. He, and he said himself, it hasn't been a great start, but he did seem like he's he's, came, he's kept level-headed to this point. But you're right, he needed a win to just to release that valve for him and the team. 
That's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Let's talk uh, GC now because, uh, like you mentioned in the in the intro of this uh, this podcast, the, the GC battle has started. Uh, yesterday we saw Roglic uh, claiming some time back on uh, Evenepoel, uh, and Remco is now still second of the uh, of the classification. But Roglic is breathing basically down his neck. Uh, do we have a battle on our hands uh, from from week two or from actually from yeah. today because the, the TT battle. is on tonight? So. Yes, we have a big battle, and it's not just Roglic. I mm -hmm. tell you, one of the, the big for me and he already was a favorite uh, for me and out probably an outsider but now he's emerging more is Teo Gagenhart. he he was super last night and he he actually followed Roglic across the top just Garrett Thomas was just a little bit off but I mean G looks good and it was a I mean it was a category four climb so the relevance of that climb to the third week it's not hugely relevant to be honest, what is relevant is the fact that there's been gaps open. So mm -hmm. the climb itself is different. You know, they're, they're racing up 20, 30 kilometre climbs in the third week, completely different to that Cat 4. Um, but it showed us that potentially everyone is going to be vulnerable at some stage over the next 10 days. Okay. Uh, Remco, uh, I want to ask you, Mark, because you know the team very well. You know the, the management of the team. You know uh, how, how much pressure is Remco under now? Now he's won the Vuelta. He's delivered on his first Grand Tour. He's highly expected to win this Giro uh, from the from the, the team itself. The team has completely morphed into more of a GC team, almost under our eyes. Like we almost didn't see it happening. And then all of a sudden, Remco delivers and then he becomes the tactics of becoming a Grand Tour winning team. Are they yet a Grand Tour winning machine? And what is the psychology today? In the team, I wouldn't think? call Sudal Quick, a quick step a, a grant or winning machine. Not yet, not but, yet. Uh, yeah, that's they, what I'm asking. Are, are, are they transforming? Are they morphing uh, into I it? I think uh, Patrick Lefebvre has invested a lot in the climbers, but if we look at the names, they don't have the team that Ineos Grenadiers have. They don't have the original Yumbo Visma team. They don't have the UAE team. But could uh, this be the Achilles heel for, for Remco? I think this is the problem where Remco will run into. He, I think at the moment, he's hands down. The favourite in the race He's really shown that. We're going to know a lot more tonight after the time trial uh, because it's relatively flat. It's playing into his uh, hand at the moment. But I think Sudal, Quickstep, they, they want to invest in this uh, classic, uh, this Grand Tour rather than the classics. And then we, we saw their classics campaign this year was a disaster. So it shows that the focus is shifting. Uh, and the sports directors there know the focus from Patrick Lefebvre. He, he, like he's very vocal as a manager. Uh, but I think Remco Ivanapol, he needs more teammates on a higher caliber. And I, I still think we're going to see him run into trouble in the second back end of the second week into the third week. But I think he'll have enough time up his sleeve from the time trialing that it'll be mm. okay. Is he, is he that good? Do you think that's, that's because he's that good that he can actually sort yeah. of buffer between th the, the team missing? I, th I think he's going to, to be the difference in Sudal Quickstep rather than the team making the difference. Remco will make the difference. Uh, I think the change that we've seen in his face, he's gone from, you know, that, that kid that was like, you know. Puppy. Yeah. He wasn't, he just looked fresh faced and he still looks fresh now, but you look at him and he's chiseled, his legs are chiseled, he's defined. Uh, so he's, it's been a massive step up. Over the last 12 months, he's really gone from that young 21 year old and now he's just taken that next step 
into a you know a chiseled yeah. grant to a rider. That's interesting what you said because if you, I'm lucky enough to be able to watch him as well speaking French and understanding why he says speaking French. His speech has completely changed. He's the boss. The way he speaks now is a lot more like the boss. You, he, the team say, uh, do what he says. What he says is gold. But where before he used to be. You know, almost apologetic uh, I, speaking. I think it's completely would, changed. I think he's done a lot over the off-season. Since the world titles, I think he's done a lot of work, uh, maybe with a mental coach, maybe with, uh, you know, on that side of the, you know, the training. Mm-hmm. You know, he he rides the bike, no doubt about it. But I think he's worked with a mental coach. He's envisaged what he wants. Uh, he knows, and he's got people behind feeding confidence into him. And then it's showing in the interviews. So, well, I, well, I'll throw in an argument that I think, I, I agree. He's, he, to me, he's still the favourite, but there's still the, the question mark for me is the team. And then based off last night, and this is where he's experienced or just a little bit of lack of. So he, he reacted last night and he had to, you know, Roglic attacked him fair and proper and it was a proper move, you know, and, and we know it was seven or six kilometres from the top. So he didn't have time to... Say, oh, I'll let Roglic go. But he surged twice. And so it was a little bit of a, maybe a panic, maybe not. Maybe he had to. I'm still undecided. But I feel that if he is, if he is vulnerable at all, high in the Dolomites or into that third week, and he doesn't have riders around him to keep him calm and say, don't chase yet. Don't chase yet. We'll chase. We're going to ride tempo, but we're going to lose 30 seconds. Don't panic. I feel like he might make the wrong decisions himself if he's isolated. So I'll, 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 I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't agree with you. <laughs> and, yeah. and I don't agree with you for one point. Yeah. That's exactly what happened at the Vuelta last year. Yeah, but he was, he was, he was minutes saying, ahead. Yeah, but so he might ride minutes ahead and then, hey, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll totally eat my humble pie. Mm-hmm. Just make it apple pie and I like double whipped cream, <laughs> by the way. Um, so, my, yeah, absolutely. That, that's what happened. But if we go into the third week and he's still only 30 seconds mm-hmm. up, it's game on. It is game on big time. Um, but yeah, we, we, we're going to get a pretty good idea after tonight, maybe with a long way to go still. Like but the, said, if he pulls a minute tonight on Roglic, that makes him a minute thirty up on him. Yeah, and, and we're going to have a much clearer view of uh, who's coming up, mm. Almeida. Like who's going to be those big riders that are going to challenge him? Uh, Ineos Grenadiers—they have numbers. If Garant Thomas, you know, they In, can... Ineos are the potentially the big. But they need to ride a different tactic to what we've mm. seen from Ineos. They mm. need to ride a more explosive, yeah. uh, off-the-cuff Bora Hansgrohe from last year. Yeah. You know, they need to do a couple of stages where they really spice it up so you can't read the book and say, that's how Ineos ride. So Ine- Ineos, because you mentioned Theo Gaggenaut, uh, yeah. who's the protected rider there? Is it G? Is it uh, Theo? I believe, Are they both? I believe, I believe they're both protected, but I believe Theo's number one. I Purely based off his current form at the moment, I believe they'll he would if he, if they had to choose one, I think they'd give him the nod. I, I don't think they'll choose one. No, but I think uh, the mentality within the team. If we're if I imagine if I was a fly on the wall and I'm sitting in there, I think Teo would have uh, just that little bit mental over G. He's that yeah. little bit younger. He's ridden the Giro. G's coming in. He's at the end of his contract. There's a lot of talk around of what his, he's going he's at to the do. End of his career. In the next couple of years, isn't he? I well, suppose. Yeah, they're already talking. Is he going to retire mm. this year? So mm-hmm. I think that'll give Teo just that little bit more confidence, and he's going to have that little bit more swagger, and just know that he's the man. So, so if the re- it does hit the fan. 
on the road that we will decide it, they will decide this on the road it's not about you know respect and the hierarchy and Jim potentially being the last year can he win no, another grand tour they will absolutely have a, a plan of attack um, whether whether they're bold enough to go with the the long range mm. move from G or Teo I think if uh, if I was in the team I'd be saying G now you go early uh, you're more experienced you're older um, you know, at the moment he's in front of Teo Gagenhart on GC. So oh, from the we'll, TT. So we'll see yeah. what happens tonight. Whether that's still the case. Yeah, 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 yeah. Luck can play out. Yeah. If we talk about uh, Jaco Alula a little bit now, uh, Eddie Dunbar is uh, yeah. their protected rider. Let's listen to him. Now we're nearly a week in, and you've actually looked very comfortable uh, all zero. You've ridden very uh, intelligently, and you're only you know, a couple of minutes down on uh, on Remco, but you're with most of the GC contenders. Yeah, so I think that's a good position to be in. There's been a couple of tricky stages, um, but the guys have rode brilliantly all week. Um, I think having uh, Michael here, obviously going from the harder sprints and going up for the sprint finishes, it makes it easier to kind of position well and stuff. Teams know we're here to um, be active um, every day and we're not here to mess about. You know, We're here to win stages and uh, stay up there in GC. So, um, yeah, that's helped over the last few days. So today it's kind of, yeah get in position for that last climb and try hold on really yeah i've been impressed uh, eddie because not only have you been sitting back like waiting for the days like today you've been involved in that train uh, to get uh, bling up there as well yeah i mean obviously i'd like to be a bit more of a help um to bling sometimes but uh, when you have gc in mind it's uh yeah you have to be kind of cautious where you where you make efforts and stuff so it's uh yeah, it's, it can be a bit difficult sometimes, but I think we're balancing it well so far. And uh, as I said, just yeah, keep doing what we're doing, and it's going to be a good, it's going to be a really good three weeks. Good luck with that. Perfect. Cheers. Thank you. Eddie Dunbar, nice, uh, nice little. Uh, the, we always love an Irish accent, don't we? Yeah. How can you not like the Irish? <laughs> eh? I know. I know. Absolutely. They're great. They're a protected uh, species. There's only three million of them. You know, they're good. We've got to look after them. They, they produce good beer. <laughs> um, but what do we think of Eddie Dunbar on, as the protected rider for Jayco here? Uh, look, I'll, I'll confess, I don't know a lot about Eddie. Um, you know, getting to know his, his riding style, etc. really here, I will say that. And I'm impressed so far. And he is. He has to be. He's their only guy that can ride general classification. So, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great that they've what, come with a... With a no, sorry, sorry. no, I was just going to say, I love it that they've... Jacob have come to win stages predominantly. But I they've also come that, yeah. with a guy that yeah. can potentially ride top 10. But let's take a step back and have a look where Eddie Dunbar has come from. He was part of Sky. He's, he's part of that Ineos Foundation. He So he knows the tactics. He's, yep. he's trained. He's been brought up underneath the trainers. So he would bring another element to Jaco Alula, an insight into how, you know, that Ineos train work. Yep. Uh, and I think he's probably enjoying the atmosphere around the team. It'd be a lot more laid back. You know, the Australians are pretty easy to go, you know, people compared to that of the Ineos uh, team. So I think he's probably enjoying that, and he's uh, he's got some good riders around him. Zana, mm. we saw in the break yesterday. Yeah, Zana's been Hepburn, good. Uh, they're all looking like they're in really good form. So I think that would be building the confidence and and mm. Michael Matthews. Yeah, so yeah. they're they're looking pretty solid. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now we have to ask you about Cav. 
Uh, Cavendish, he, he had this crash on the finish line uh, a few days ago. Um, what do you make, of, first of all, of that crash? And this photo where he's still holding this bar. I mean, you've got your own theory that he was after the 2,000 euros ah, prize money. Like, he, well, he knew. In, in his, in his, I mean, this is, this is the class of Cav. At 60 kilometers an hour sliding across the tarmac, he's like, don't let go of the bars. I'm still going to get 1,000 euros for fifth place. I'm joking, obviously. Well, look, there's so much around that whole finish. And uh, we could do a podcast just on that finish. And just mm. analyze what yeah. goes wrong and why it happens. But, but how is he? How do you know him very well? You still probably in, in touch with him. How is he feeling? How how is he these days mentally, physically? Yeah, he's uh, he's enjoying the team. Like I have been in touch with him. Um, he's not shocked because you know we're not shocked when you join a team and you find out it's nice and it's fun. But the Astana team predominantly it's Italian background. It's a Kazakh sponsor, you know, a lot of the director sportifs are Kazakh. But within the team, there's a lot of Italian swaneurs. Uh, so, you know, it's fun. He enjoys it. He speaks Italian. I was going to say, he, does he speak Italian? Yeah, he yeah. speaks Italian pretty well. So French? Uh, uh, f- French. Uh, just know if I need to he's be careful he'll tell, every, he'll tell you he can do everything <laughs> I can get away I can, I can get away with it <laughs> no I think he's really enjoying the team um, I think that stage didn't affect him too bad um, he's a rider that handles crashes relatively well or better than some riders um, so seeing him and look I don't think he, he meant to hold that bike but I think looking back at it and you look at it in real time he tried to save it Mm. He yeah he did he, he gave it a red hot <laughs> shot at trying to save it and he just got wiped out um, and there was nothing he could do uh, it happened that quick and that fast that he slid across the line and the use, there is some rules in there within the UCI rule book uh, that you have to cross the line with a bike holding a bike and chapeau he yeah held onto those apparently bikes. on the French coverage um, which I was told about <laughs> uh, but um, the last person to have been qualified. Uh, classified with crossing the line without a bike is uh, Laurent Jalabert when he had this massive crash and uh, the face problem I think yes. 94 or 97 yeah, that was he's the terrible... last writer that was classified yeah. crossing the line I'll, without I'll a bike I'll tell you a good point because I've seen it happen uh, you crash inside the final um, and they put you into the ambulance and you go across the finish line you still finish the race and I've, I've had that ah, happen okay. in, with teammates of mine uh-huh. But okay, so maybe the rules have changed. changed. I don't know if you can start the next day if you cross. Uh, ah. If you're going to hospital, I don't think you should start the yeah. next day. No, no, that's true. But you, you see, I they're too busy with helicopters to uh, instead of clarifying yeah, some of you've these done it, You've opened up a good segue. You know, that's my job. Yeah, I'm ready. I've got my sledgehammer uh, ready here. They, they, so tell us because they, I... they had they had a hissy fit about riders flying helicopters yeah. down down the mountain. Yeah. So two, from what we know, two teams. There might have been a few more, but give or take. You know, a bunch of cyclists on the bigger budget teams at the end of that big first summit stage, um, most of the riders actually had to share going cable cars with fans, which it's classic RCS, you know, not spending the extra and not, not the attention to detail. I will say it. it. RCS does not have the attention to detail like ASO do at, at Tour de France. Um, so there was that. So then a bunch of riders, Vanderpol was one of them and his teammates, and I'm pretty sure Jumbo Visma got in a helicopter, flew down. Personally, I don't have an issue with it. If it happens eight or nine times or there's eight or nine stages where that is a possibility, yes, it's, you can argue it's an unfair advantage. But the, I'm just going to put something here as well. Uh, the helicopters were up. They'd have to go down anyway. They've got to go down anyway. <laughs> so the UCI, and listen, I've just opened there. They 
tweeted a statement or put it out as a press release as well. UCI condemns the use of helicopter transport for leaving the stage finish area. Yada, yada, yada. At the end, the UCI family condemns this behaviour, which goes against the principles of fair play and equality, the fundamental values of sport. The UCI will take necessary measures and sanctions to ensure that such a practice does not occur in the future. And look, it was a bit longer than that. Seriously, UCI? So this, is, this is why we bash their ears <laughs> all the time. I mean, don't you think they've got bigger issues to deal with? And they release a press release like they're the principal of a school or something? But are, are they points, I've been the devil's advocate here, but are they points reading this statement more about equality between the teams? So smaller teams, you take the carry cars, bigger teams, you get the... Uh... They're just pissed off they didn't have the UCI uh, delegates that were on the mountain didn't have a spot <laughs> on the, in the helicopter. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean I'm, I'm joking there. I'm, I'm embellishing. But seriously? Mm-hmm. I, I think that is the least of their problems. Yeah. Let's face Like, look at Adam Hansen. I think he's doing a great job for the CPA, the Riders' Union, and he's starting to jump on things. And then they want to, they want to, Get up, they want to get up half a dozen riders for going in a helicopter. I'm and, pretty sure Adam Hansen uh, will condemn it as well. Will he? Yeah, from a CPA point of view, I imagine he will because say, he's looking after all riders. Because he's trying to look after all riders. Um, and I respect that. I like that. But, but it's there's nothing. Obviously, there's nothing firmly written in a rule book mm. because if there was something firmly written, Ineos, uh, Sudar Quickstep, they know they can or they can't take a helicopter. Yeah. Uh, and I thought they always want something because we did look at taking choppers down off from the finish in some of the stages we did. Uh, we could never get it organised or, you know, whether or not we could do it. Um, so it's surprising that there's nothing firmly written. I think off the back of that press release, they've just, they've thrown the ball up and they're about to hit it. And the press release that comes now is there's a new rule yeah. section, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no helicopters yeah, yeah. Uh, for an unfair advantage. And look, if I was one of those riders... Uh, and you are a big. If you are Remco Evenepoel, no problem. You you take ten grand and you give it to that helicopter I was company. Say, I'd be paying you, for it and myself. you get off that mountain quick smart yeah. because it's so much better for everything. Recovery, uh, peace of mind. It's a mental advantage over the other teams. Mm-hmm. You know what I want to see? I want to see the UCI now ban the helicopters, like and, and in fine print. You know, uh, rule six point four point three, whatever. So then the riders getting one of those um, the hot air balloon. Yeah, <laughs> hot, you didn't ban hot air balloons. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Six of them rugged up with their winter jackets on, <laughs> slowly descending. <laughs> Absolutely, but you're right. It's a, it's it's an interesting thing where. To think that they probably other things they could look after yeah, uh, to I solve so. some issues that could be solved before. Yes, uh, that's right. This. Yeah, focus on the bigger issues first. Yeah. 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 Okay, any uh, other uh, things we worth mentioning? Uh, Grace Brown's doing really well on my dad's territory in oh, uh, Brittany. Well, you, yes, you're right. And uh, two of Bretagne, correct? Yep. She's won tour, it. Tour she won Bretagne. the TT. She did the, well, she actually won a one-day race just prior to that. So her, she's she's got her mojo back. Mm-hmm. Which is good to see for Grace. Absolutely. Yeah, not that she'd lost it, but we probably expected a lot from her in the classics and she was really good. But she's had incredible success at the classics in the last couple of years. So we we now expect that from her every year. But winning a French race in a French team yeah. must be something special for her. Yeah, and special for her and it's not bad for contract negotiations. Yeah. A win's a win. And, and I think she probably needed a win for her... Confidence. I'm presuming she will be selected in the TDF squad. Um, it's, the, hard, it's hard to think. Yeah, can't imagine her not you going. You can't imagine unless there's Surely. a problem. Unless there's a problem. But well, she uh, didn't do the Vuelta. 
No. So she will be doing the tour, yep. I'd say for sure. So that's, I think that bodes well for her. It's probably worth mentioning just in Tour de Bretagne how many women from Australia we have participating yes, there. So yeah. we've got uh, Grace Brown, like you mentioned, Danielle DiFrancesco. Yeah, uh, uh, in Arkea, she's just yes. jumped across, yep. yeah. Emily Watts, Bathurst girl. Yeah. Oh, uh, Bridge Lane. Gino Ricardo. Yep. Hayley Fuller from Dubbo, Central yep. West. Look at so him, not look far at him. from Bathurst. <laughs> look at him blow on the, what is it, the Central, Central West? Central West. <laughs> no, and Hayley's been in the break, uh, I think, two days in a row. She yeah, was in that's the break. Great. So she's only young, out of Dubbo, yeah. and she's now over there in France doing amazing things. And what things. does it do? <laughs> Sorry, for the quickly, platform. Keely Bennett and <laughs> Lily Pollock. Yeah, it is awesome. And what does it do for these young Aussie women? I'm so proud of, I'm so proud of what women's cycling is doing and what the Aussie women are doing. Uh, I think, and I'm it go- is only going to help the next generation. I've got a theory that women cycling, uh, Australian women cycling, is the second best in the world after the Dutch. As a, as a whole, as a group, look at it. Okay. Look at the numbers. Look at the victory. Look at the participation. Uh, look at the performance. Who would have been second, or who, or who's the top three or four? The Belgi- French, Bel- Dutch, and Belgium. Yeah, yes. the Belgians. But I think the, the Dutch are, are number one. But the, I, the I Belgians, reckon, Belgians, got to be. I reckon they're after Australia. Lizzie, Lizzie Denyon, the British. Like, yeah, the Brits are good. The Brits have a I mean, program. The I'm, talk- is... I'm, I'm talking in depth. In terms of depth, look at what we have in Australia and what's sure, coming up. Sure. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm totally cool, yeah. biased, but yeah. uh, I'll call it in the uh, You know, <laughs> I, I, I want to see it, and I, I'm, um, I'm impatient. And this, I want to see. I can't wait to see because it will happen. Yeah. Uh, the first Aussie woman to win a stage of the tour, and I know, obviously, um, Chloe Hoskins won, yeah. won the, La the, the La Course. The, but the now, first one, now the first that we've one. got a stage race, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see an Aussie 100%. win a stage. That will be massive. Yeah, 100%. Anything else? Yes, for sure. Tour of Hungary. Yes. Oh, of course. <laughs> it is. Absolute, We're hungry for Hungary. Yeah, it is <laughs> the showdown of sprinters. So yeah. basically this is one of the first uh, big step preparation races for Tour de France. Uh, often a lot of riders went to the Giro, but when it's so hard, so limited yeah. chances... They do another program, uh, like a, a different tangent to the tour. We've got some of the best sprinters there. Uh, you know, for Australia, we've got Caleb Buon. Yeah. And? Uh, very... Okay. Okay, Let's Mr. Expert. Let's talk about Caleb, actually. Let's talk about Caleb. Where's he at? Where's um, he at? I'm at? I'll say it first to help you. He's struggling. As, he I'll should s- be winning. He's struggling. Look, as a, um, as a commentator of the sport now, yeah. he's not where he needs to be. Yeah. Yeah, um, and whether it's because he doesn't have the team behind him, or whether it's uh, his own performance, I don't know. I haven't spoke with him yeah. in, a, in a while, but you know he's popping around sixth, seventh uh, in the first two sprint stages. You know we had Fabio Jakobsen take his first victory uh, in the first stage. It was uh, I'm just struggling because there's too many sprinters there. Gronewagen. So, okay. So put your you've what are you? You're nearly three years retired, or you are, but you're still in touch in that sense you know you raced against a lot of these guys right now if you were mentoring Caleb what would you be saying to him he's got he's got six weeks till the Tour de France what would you be saying for him to do or what would you be if you were part of that team what would you be be your advice well if we look at it in a global sense he's he's in a second tier team we know he doesn't have the depth of riders there to to produce the best lead out so he's going to have to ride off the the back of other leaders. I'd be tailoring his sprint into hitting out early. If they can get him to the front, they can put him in clean air. It's always the most important thing. And then he gets arrow and he goes. So and so you'd be sort of changing I'd, or, I'd tailor his, or his training into a, a longer bit. sprint. 
He can't come last minute. He's just getting caught up on the wheels. It's so hectic. It's so dangerous. Every year, it's just getting worse and worse. So get him to the front, 250, 275, and just send him on his so way. How do you, I mean, this is silly question. Maybe it's not. Um, and it's for me as much as people listening. What are some of the things you do when you say tailor it? Like, we, are you talking? You get you get him out training, doing longer sprint intervals, or well, what? Look, if if that's the road that you wanted to go, you wanted to train better to be in that longer sprint, uh, like Fernando Gaviria. He yep. hasn't been successful yet, but he he's the first to go. When he goes, he takes five lengths, and yep. they just peg him back. I think Caleb Buen, he's got that small build. He's got the aerodynamic build. Uh, it's a bigger advantage. Uh, like Cavendish, he could win yeah. those long sprints. Um, and he's got to do that in training. But mentally, you have to visual, visualize the final. You mm. have to know the final. The team will give him all this information. Mm. Um, so I think that's what he needs to do because he just doesn't have the team and he's not big enough to box on. Yeah. But he's at a point in his career now where he needs to really box on because yeah. this is this is important this year. It's crunch point. And, and you know... We all want him to win. You, you I want mean, yeah. him to win. I want to see him go back to the tour and win big. 100%. Yeah. Uh, and, and he does everything good for us, for oh, ratings, he's, for he's a champion. For, he's a champion guy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to um, see him win. You mentioned he's in a second-tier team. Uh, is resourcing an issue, do you think? Uh, the fact that maybe they've got a bit less money, so he's, he's a bit less nurtured, he's a bit less around this role? Or not? I think every, it all adds up when you're not in those big world tour teams and you don't just have that unlimited budget, you know, um, Lotta, his team, they're not going to be taking helicopters. Exactly. Like they're a team that are... <laughs> Sorry, mate, hot air balloon came up today. They're trying to save money here and there. Um, they've got a great rider in Arno de Lee coming up, yep. which is really going to start putting pressure like on the Belgian whole team. Belgian rider in a Belgian team. Yeah. Exactly. Like like Cadell, uh, it was Vandenbroek. Vandenbroek, who was never sort of hit the heights, obviously, of Cadell. But they got rid of Cadell when he finished second in the Tour de France. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really yeah. same team. So I, I, th- I think we're going to see really Caleb come out swinging in yeah. this tour because uh, he really needs it. Um, I don't know exactly how his preparation is going, but uh, I think after Hungary, he's going to Tour of Belgium, which is then the next benchmark for sprinters. Uh, he was successful there last year before the tour. Yeah. Um, he did ride the Giro, so it was one of the only races he did between the two Grand Tours. So I think we're really just going to have to see it step by step how he comes into this Giro. Um, but he, he needs to have, you know, he's had a couple of bad Grand Tours, so you have to have a good year this year. Yeah, absolutely. That would be the last words of, uh, of this podcast. Thank you for coming, uh, Mark. No worries. Thanks for and, having uh, me. Thank you, Mark. Thank you're you. Still great. You're still a great. Yeah, good, cool. cool. <laughs> I, I, I might be to just be that, mate. It's all good. That's so, okay. Yeah. We'll see at the end of three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> this was the uh, SBS Cycling Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, remember, you can uh, download or stream this podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash sport. Until next one, it's bye for now. 